Chayov Inish. Chayov Inish, a person is obligated. Le To become fragrant. Perhaps the literal translation of the word. Bepuria on Purim. Ad de lo yoda until he cannot know Bain Oror Hamon Levoruch Mordechai. The Mechaber of the Shulchan Aruch brings this down as the quote from a Gemara in Megillah, and it says that a person is obligated, Chayav Inish, person is obligated to Lavasume, to do something. But whatever he does, it's going to get him to the stage when he can't work out the difference between cursed is Haman and blessed is Mordechai. The usual translation of the word lavasume means to get drunk. A person is obligated to get drunk on Purim until he reaches a level where he's unable to distinguish between Baruch Aruhaman and Baruch, sure, I'm already there. Between Aruhaman and Baruch Mordechai. Many are the interpretations given to this. It seems from the following Ramah that he understood the Shulchan Aruch that a person has to get to such a degree of inebriation that he literally can't distinguish, I'm assuming, between the words. When someone says to you, Arahaman and Baruch Mordechai, you actually, they sound the same to you. Or when you say them to someone else, they sound the same to him. <laughs> I don't exactly. Um, so the way the, the Mishabura says it is slightly differently. The Mishabura says, that Aruhaman Shazem Apollary Shoina is the first descent. Shenita on the Kamarabimenuva. That Mordechai was an even greater good that he actually managed to rise to the top of the Persian government. Vihine Kodim Shenishtaker Nasan Bavada Toidilashim is Brah Shatovis. Before you get drunk, you'll of course thank Hashem for both. So what the Mishabur says, Al Kain Omri Khazal Shiloyafsik Militain Shebach Al Zebasimcha, Achyovidaikhin Oid Ma Bain Toibazulazu. You should reach the level that you can't differentiate between which was a greater goodness, the destruction of Haman or the elevation of Mordechai. Now I'm not sure so that's how the Mishabur understands it. Um Which is which is interesting. Because uh, the Mishabura it's hard to know, but from the continuation of the Ramah, that you don't have to get that drunk. Whatever that state of not being able to differentiate between these two notions, you have to be very, very drunk to get there. Because otherwise the Ramah wouldn't say you don't have to get that drunk. Meaning that's very drunk. And he says you don't have to go that drunk. You should drink more than you normally drink people who've been to American colleges, that's quite an achievement. The Yishan and then you should go to sleep. 
And because you've fallen asleep, you don't have a difference. Now, the, the Ramah is, is very problematic because seemingly the Chiyuv is to get drunk until you don't know it. If you, get, if you don't get drunk and then you go to sleep, so what do you do? Granted, you slept not knowing it, but in your drunken state, you still did. So then it doesn't, so you, don't, you can't keep the obligation. It, it, makes, it makes no sense. The Ramah makes no sense. So even though we are Ashkenazim, we, we have to see that Pashtas, we have to, I mean, can't rely on the Ramah over here. <laughs> Svara will tell us not to. Plus, I mean, there's not any Svara, there's all that wine. And the, the Ramah does give us a way out. He says, He says, whether you do a little or a lot, as long as you have the right intentions at heart. It seems to be that the Ramah, when he says those words, he's coming to say, listen, whichever side you take, you can get absolutely smashed, or you can have a little bit more than you normally do, provided you're doing it for the right reasons. So what I'd like to dwell on today a little bit is the right reasons for drinking. And it's a very deep sugya. Wine is a huge sugya in Torah. Wine is a very, very big sugya. Um, and it's a sugya that we need to learn a little bit about because otherwise we can destroy the Kedusha of the Day of Purim. The Day of Purim is a, one of the peaks of our spiritual climb. And if the Day of Purim just becomes the one opportunity to, for Baal Shiva, to relive his past in a kosher environment so then you haven't moved forward through Purim, you've moved backwards so how can you get absolutely drunk and from that have a spiritual elevation it seems unlikely so let's begin with a little bit of a exploration into what wine is all about and a few bewildering notions that seem to be unique to that particular beverage. It's a Gemarin Brochus. The Gemarin Brochus says, as an aside, in the first sugya, in the sixth chapter, Ketzad Mavarchim, it brings it down really, not in, as an aside in the sugya, and it states an interesting point. Da'amar Rabbi Amar Rabbi Yonason says Rav Shmuel Bar Nachmani in the name of Rabbi Yonason Minayin she'ein oimrim shira elo al hayayin From where do we know that we do not sing a song we do not make music but when there is wine It's a reference to the Levim the Levites in the Beis HaMikdash the only time they would play their musical instruments and engage in song was when there was a offering on the altar of wine. When wine was being offered onto the altar, then the Levim would engage in Shira, but not with other kinds of Korbanos. So you see there's an intrinsic relationship between Shira, song, and wine. We have to try to find where that commonality lies. Let's begin first with the understanding of what a song is, a shira. There are different levels of 
the way we manifest our emotions. The level of Shira is when something happens to me which is so elevating, so powerful, that the normal parameters for expression are exploded and the only way I can truly bring out from within my emotion is by bursting into song. It has to be melodic. It can't just be factual. It has to have a component which is essentially transcendent. The idea of music is it's a means of communication which has no representational feature. If I draw a drawing, so there's a connection to the to the the scene that I'm drawing. If I draw a landscape, it's connected to the landscape I've drawn. If I draw a portrait, it's connected to the face I've drawn. If I play a piece of music, you can't attach it to a given object in the physical world. It's intrinsically transcendent. It's not representational, even though there are perhaps artists that try to take music and make it representational, but even so, it's very tenuous, the connection to the object that the music's trying to describe. Essentially, music is a language which extends beyond words. It's things that you can't express in words. And it comes about through a moment which is so vast in its implications for myself and for my being that I can't express it in the parameters of speech and language because those parameters don't do full justice to the elevation of my being. And hence, when the Jewish people were at Kriyas Yamsuf and they saw the sea split, there weren't words for that. They had to put those words into song. Without the melody, there'd be something desperately lacking from the expression of joy. So the height of joy comes about by this moment of insight and understanding and explodes into song. And some of that's connected to wine. Yaakov Avinu stuck in famine-ridden Eretz Knan. His son Yosef has become the ruler in Egypt and Yosef sends a gift to Yaakov Avinu. The gift he sends him is a bottle of old wine. A bottle of old wine. And the reason why he did it is because he understood that Yain Yashem das chachomim noichahemenu. When you send a wise man wine, so it settles his mind. Why would a glass of wine, a bottle of wine, settle the mind, dafka of a zokane. In order to understand this, let's go one step back to the creation of the world. There's a passage which describes it. Hu Omar v'yehi sivra v'yamoid He commanded and it came into being. Sorry, he said and it came into being. Sivra, he commanded and it stood continued. Simply speaking, the Pasuk is divided up into a description of two distinct time periods. Hu Amar Vayehi is a description of the bringing into creation of the world. He spoke and it came into being. Hu Tziva is the continuation of the world once it's already been created. That's on a simple level. However, 
our perception of reality is not consistent with that explanation. Because our perception of reality as we utter every morning in Shachris is Hamachadesh Betuvay Bechol Yoim Tomit that the creation wasn't created and then maintained but it is created and recreated and recreated and recreated until there's not a second or a millisecond that the world isn't being generated into being. However, the experience of life isn't consistent with that idea. The experience of life, the way we process reality, is it's a continuum. What we understand is it's a complete chidush every second. What we experience is there's no chidushim. What we know is there are chidushim. Essentially, the pasuk of who Omar Vayehi is describing the inner essence of the world, Siva Vayamoid is describing the cover-up of the world. There are two layers. The layer which covers up the essence is called Siva Vayamoid. There's an appearance of continuation. It has to be for a variety of different reasons. The world appears as if it's not coming into being every second. It appears as if this is a world which has been around for a long time. But if you penetrate the surface and you see the essence of the Creator, you know that even though this seems like old hat, it's brand new. Something new is happening. However, the newness doesn't penetrate the surface. Unless there's an element of purity in the being. For example, there are cases when the newness, the chidush, and the visible reality are fused. One classic example is Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu, who was an, an manifestation, an epitome of the height of man, so there the chidush and the appearance were consistent. And that, so that's why the Gemara says, the Pasuk says, Moshe Rabbeinu, nas His eyes did not dim and his, his, his moisture did not dissipate. Moshe Rabbeinu did not age. Aging is a camouflage to the Kiddush of the world. When a person is intuitively totally and utterly connected to the Creator, you can feel the Chidush in his external being as well. A person who's distant from that inner reality, so his appearance doesn't express that. The interesting thing about a Chochem is it says, Kozman as old as a Chochem gets, a wise man, his Das increases. He becomes ever wiser. In other words, he doesn't decline. He becomes more mechudishtik. He becomes more alive. He becomes bigger as time goes on. Granted, with the Chochem, it doesn't express itself as overtly as it did with Moshe Rabbeinu in body, but certainly in being, he becomes a new Bria. A person who's involved in growth, so every day is a different day. He doesn't remain the same. He doesn't stagnate, even though it could be from an external perspective, you see it, but from an internal perspective, there's new greatness, there's expansion day by day, second by second, minute by minute. So therefore, the nature of 
locking into the essence of life is the ability to transcend the cover which creates the boredom of continuous continuous apparently perpetual being and you see that underneath it underneath it there's constant chidush and vitality wine was sent to Yaakov Avinu because Yaakov Avinu was a chochem a chochem means that he is in touch with the inner reality of life and therefore every moment every moment is new every moment has its unique potential every moment exposes a new aspect which was never present before wine as a substance is exceptional to most other substances generally food the longer you leave it the worse it becomes it decays wine is an olam hazeh dika presentation of the chidush in the bria. The more you leave it, the more tasty, the more powerful, the better it tastes. Wine is the representation of the chidush occurring in a physical form. Hence, das zakenim, their mind, which gets better with age, creates a parallel with wine which gets better with age that's the substance that can connect to them and will satisfy them because wine is an embodiment of the underlying surface of reality that reality doesn't decline and expire it's nishadesh b'chol yoyim v'yoyim b'chol rega v'rega as a result wine is representative of two qualities the quality of chidush and the quality of the representation of the hidden beneath the surface. Therefore, it's not surprising that when a person drinks this alcoholic beverage, the exact effect that it has on him is the precise lomdisha nature of the beverage itself. The beverage is the ultimate expression in physical form of the notion of the inner surface penetrating, the inner being, sorry, penetrating the surface. What wine represents is that there's an inner essence which doesn't decay with time. It improves with time. And in wine, that essence penetrates the physical being of the beverage. When a person drinks it, it has that effect on the person as well. Nichnas yayin yoytsei soid. A person is also multidimensional. There are different layers to a person's being. When a person drinks wine, what he does is he takes off the outer layer and exposes the inner layer. That's what wine is. Wine is the wine is a thing which shows what's beneath the outer surface both in its characteristic and in its effect. What wine does is it takes the person and allows him to take off the surfaces of self and see what's beneath the surface because that's what wine represents. It says in the Gemari Brachas as we began with, You can only say song on wine because you can only connect to the expression of joy which is epitomized by the utterance of a song on something 
which is revealed from underneath the surface. Wine represents what lies beneath <coughs> the surface. Wine represents the constant vibrating chidush of being. You don't say shira on something which happened 20 years ago. It explodes on the moment. Wine is a constant representation of the vitality of momentary explosions of life. And therefore, when you want to go into the world of Shira, you need wine to associate it with that particular form of service to the Creator. So you see that in speaking about wine, there's amkus sheba amkus, there's dakus sheba dakus, that wine is one of the elevated, most elevated drinks, it's one of the deepest things, and it's one of the most highest forms of worship. Because it accesses a part of ourselves which is our inner essence. And therefore the point of drinking is not some type of escapism from the reality. It's a coming to self. It's a realization and a revelation of my deepest inner essence. Drinking on Purim is not some type of raucous affair whereby I can copiously consume copious amounts of alcohol in order to rid myself of any worries past or future. It's the exact opposite. The drinking on Purim is a reconnection to a part of myself which may have been covered over by the dust <coughs> of the rest of the year. It's a connection to the part of myself which is connected to a chain of Jewish people which spans from its inception at High Sinai until the present day. It reveals the part of me which says Hashem ein oid milvadecha. There's nothing but you. It's essentially it's a way of breaking the barriers which obstruct us from reaching our deepest part. So the act of drinking on Purim is not some type of random, raucous way of celebrating a happy day in a giddy fit of frivolity. It's a deep and powerful avoider. As a result, as a result, what we want to do is we want to understand the beauty of getting drunk. The beauty of getting drunk is not some type of wild behavior. It's that as I drink tot after tot, glass after glass, revise after revise, jug after jug, keg after keg, pint after pint. Liter after liter. <laughs> gallon after gallon. As I do that, as I do that, what I do is each one peels off a different surface of myself. And a person reaches the height of his Avodan Purim where everything is completely revealed. Where everything remains totally exposed and then at that point what's the distinction between Baruch Mordechai and Orohaman at that point you realize that there's also two components to existence there's Baruch Mordechai and there's Orohaman Orohaman means the 
power of the apparent power of the Rishayim in the world. They are evil people. They are evil people. And Baruch Mordechai, they are good people. The difference between Aruham and Baruch Mordechai is Aruham is the descent, is the, dis- the disappearance of evil from the world. And Baruch Mordechai is the reaching of the reward to the tzaddikim. When a person reaches the point of self where he's peeled off all those layers which cause him to become disengaged from his inner essence, he starts to see that even the negative areas of life, even the apparent power of the Rishayim in the world is all an illusion. Like the Mizmor Shabbos says, when describing the relationship we have with Resha, evil, Bifruach Rishayim Kamoy Asev, I see the Rishayim being as fruitful, growing, flourishing like grass. And sprout forth all doers of evil. And then there's a pause. And then the capital says, All their flourishing and all their flowering ultimately will come to destruction. So when a person gets to that stage, so that he's reached a level where he can't differentiate between Baruch Mordechai, Aruham and Baruch Mordechai. Now, if that's true, it means that Purim, like every other part of Judaism, is a handle to reach out to something that is normally above us. It's a day where we can focus our energies in connecting to a part of ourselves which goes beyond the here and now of where we are. It's a day that can connect us to <coughs> everyone around us through our friendship. It can connect us to the Jewish people in the past through the reading of the Megillah and understanding the way that we are around today because there was once a miracle of Purim otherwise we wouldn't be around today. So we get connected all the way to the past and once we get to Purim, Purim was the crucial link in the chain of the acceptance of Torah. So that gets us all the way back to Matan Torah. So on Purim, what we're doing is, we're creating a level of connectivity between every aspect which represents the Jewish people. In terms of history, in terms of present, in terms of future, in terms of the connection between us and everyone else around us. That's on a ethereal and more lofty level. Practically speaking, Practically speaking, Purim is a day which uh, has within it a tremendous power. And a person, that, the, 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 the difficulty of Purim is you can't, you can abuse it and you can use it. And it's so difficult to do because Yom Kippur, everyone can be from and pull it off. But Purim, you can't 
be from in the classic religious perfumta sense because otherwise you'll just sit there and you'll have your I only drink a glass of beer per day I'll drink two glasses and put my head down boring not getting anywhere with that that's not an avoider that's dumb you're just avoiding the issue on the other hand you can get raucously drunk and going around smashing all the windows of your neighbor's apartments not the chatkila not the chatkila so how do you how do you engage and this is why I feel for about Shiva Purim is one of the most important days because it's addressing a part of yourself which was so out of context previously and is giving a context to it so it's in a sense one of the most important ways of solidifying one's growth it's being able to drink and drink but retain the context of what happens in that process and instead of it just being a wild meaningless escape from the present it becomes a deep investigation into oneself the other aspect of Purim which is just important to mention is that as we've spoken about in detail in second year Musa is an element of late sonus of making fun and the reason that this becomes so pertinent on Purim is because the destruction of the ultimate scoffer came into being was Haman in other words Haman was a person that through his degradation of Klal Yisrael demonstrated the ultimate cynicism he took the nation who represents the creator in this world who essentially should be untouchable and he says let's wipe them out ah, no problem we'll just obliterate them that's the highest degree of devaluing the importance of a given object which is the inner essence of what Leitzonus is about devaluing something which has importance what we understood is when a person devalues something which is intrinsically unimportant so you're actually doing the opposite of Leitzonus and that's why call Leitzonus Asura Asira any kind of Leitzonus is forbidden except for Leitzonus of Avodah of idolatry idolatry is the ultimate seriousness given to the biggest lie there's an element of a sacred place a holy shrine but the whole thing is absolute nonsense so the best thing to make fun of is Avodah Zorah because it deflates the ultimate importance given to the ultimate lie alongside all late sonnets of Avodah Zorah is making fun of anything which appears to be important but really it's not and therefore in Purim there's a theme that you should make fun of things because that's consistent with the theme of Purim what one has to be careful about is that you don't cross over to the side of a Amalek <laughs> and that you don't in your process of making fun of things which, were, which are unimportant start to make thing, fun of things which are important and therefore in your interaction with others and your spiels you have to be very cautious um, now that must have been the most serious prim Russia ever given certainly hasn't cheered up any of you um, and we know that Mishnah Nechas Adam Marvin B'Simcha 
So what would be appropriate would be appropriate would be the end of like a really good joke. Um, unfortunately, you know me and I know you, and you know that the last time I pulled off a really good joke was '94. Uh, yeah. yeah, do you remember '94? I think we recorded it. So, <laughs> so I'm not going to be able to do that. Um, it's just in an informal sense. Purim is a, is, a, is a great day. It's a great. It's a day which, which allows us to, to come into contact with the ultimate antithesis of, of, distorted Judaism, where a person hinges his Torah on religiosity. Torah is not from Kant. Torah is something much, much more profound than that. It's not. The hunched-over back, the long-swinging payers and the sallow faces. Torah is something which extends to the inner and the outer, spans time and space, and therefore, hopefully, through this Purim, we'll get a sense of that. We'll, we'll utilize the day, we'll capture it, and we'll allow it to expand ourselves in a way that will be profoundly effective, affected, that thereafterwards, our entire Kabbalah Satorah, our entire relationship to Torah will be altered because we'll strike a connection to a part of ourselves where we realize that we are essentially connected. That without our das, without our thinking, without anything, the connection between us to the Torah, between us to the Rebbein and between the us to one another is completely beyond the trivialities of our beings in time and space. And at that point in time, when we reach that level, so then we've achieved a goal which is so precious that we can sustain ourselves from it, from all our voida, for all our voida, for an entire year and way beyond. So it's a, it's, a, it's a prayer and it's a hope and it's a, a wish that we'll be able to succeed in doing that, this Purim. Um, amen. Amen. <laughs> okay.